And so I'm talking about transferring the glory. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 through 10, I read this. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. These cherubim were the same cherubim that were at the entrance of the Garden of Eden to prevent man to get back inside. Uh, they symbolize the, 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 the protecting forces that protect the glory of God. In the garden, there were two trees, not one. We always hear about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there was another tree, and it was called the tree of life. And that tree of life is none other than the Lord our God himself. And whenever, and I could talk to you about the typologies of that, but I will not. All I will say is these cherubim were there on the back of the mercy seat to protect the glory of God, the Shekinah, the Shekinah of God that hovered in midair between the wings of these cherubim. And so they set the ark of God on a new cart, and right there is where they got in trouble because they're copying the program of the Philistines. That wasn't what God said you do. There were protocols that needed to be followed. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which, by the way, Abinadab means generosity. He was father of generosity, actually, is what it means. So they brought the ark out of the house of the father of generosity, which is on the hill accompanying the ark of God, and the hill went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel, I want you to notice this, played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments. Man, they had the band there. It was firwood, harps, stringed instruments on tambourines, on cistrums, <laughs> some of this stuff we don't even hardly know what it is, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. The threshing floor. Every single one of us passed through a threshing floor from time to time, where the chaff is separated from the wheat in our lives. And we have to be so careful lest we stumble at those points, because we don't want to always let go of the chaff, do we? We want to hang on to things that we really need to have separated from our lives. And so the oxen stumbled and, and Uzzah did what appears to be a, you know, the, the right thing to do at the moment. He reaches out with his hand to steady the ark to keep it from tumbling to the ground. But this is what the scripture said. The anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah. What? What? And God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day, which means the breach of Uzzah. Uzzah died, and yet it seemed he was doing the, the right thing, the honorable thing. David is angry, and David is also, verse 9, afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? What a sermon. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? How can I bring the ark home? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, or the city of Mount Zion, where David had built his house. This is an 11-acre plot of ground located at Jerusalem. That was Mount Zion. And David had built his personal residence there. You remember David had said in Psalms 27 that he wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord to behold his beauty. What David is talking about is bringing the ark there where his own home is, where he can live in the presence of God. And David instead, he would not move it, and he took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And then our text for the last couple of weeks in 2 Corinthians 3.17. I'd like for you to read this with me if you would. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Say it. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is. Say is with emphasis. Not was. How many people get hung up on grandma's experience? That's where God was. 
How many people get locked into a denominational mode because somebody years ago had an encounter with God? That's where God was. Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the, of the church, Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. I've been there. I've stood in front of the door. That's where God was. You remember in the garden that the voice of the Lord walking with them, the voice of God is always walking. You never saw that, did you? The, the voice is walking. It doesn't stand stationary in one place. You have to be where God is. Father, I thank you today because of your incredible presence that is here. For your word that is unbelievably illuminating, exciting, thrilling, the depths of it. As you begin to reveal it to us, boggle our imagination, God. They, it's so it's so fascinating to see what is in your word, the layers of meaning, the, the depths of it. Help us to never be satisfied to just scratch the surface when there is so much that remains to be revealed. We ask for your help and understanding. Give us revelatory insight into the teachings and principles that are behind this book. Lord, Israel got to see the acts of God, but Moses got to understand the ways of God. We don't want to just see what you do. We want to understand the principles behind it. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Shout it out loud. Amen. That's great to see you here today. I mean that. And if you're visiting with us, thank you so much for coming. I want to speak this morning from this subject, welcoming God into his new dwelling place. Welcoming God into his new dwelling place. I'll use this. I'll pick up again on this next Sunday. Last week, I talked about a greater glory, and we looked at the Ark of the Covenant and what it meant to the nation of Israel. I also, I went deep. I went deep into a study of some of the most sacred foundations of the Christian faith, and we explored how these foundations were actually foreshadowed in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, and the items that were in it, including the Ark of the Covenant. Now, a lot of people do not see the need to embrace the Old Testament. Many people... Many modern churches, even pastors are teaching, ah, that applied to Israel, no need to worry about that. You can read the Psalms once in a while, but don't burden yourself with all the prophets and the Torah and everything else. And that is absolutely wrong. Because the very foundations of our faith or the bedrock of our faith is found in some of those symbols in the Old Testament. The tabernacle itself became the first earthly dwelling for God. There was a picture I showed you last week, and there's the tabernacle with the fence around it and the little tent inside, and all of the tents of Israel are pitched, as you can see, according to their tribes around the tabernacle. And there, where that pillar of fire is coming from, is where the holiest of holies was in the Ark of the Covenant, which was the symbol of the manifest presence of God in the earth. And then that pillar of fire goes up and spreads out across the entire nation of Israel. At night, it provided them warmth. During the day, that pillar of fire was a cloud, and it literally shielded them from the sun and one of the most inhospitable deserts that existed on the face of the planet, the Arabian Desert. And you will also remember that I showed you the picture of the Ark of the Covenant. It was literally a tangible representation of God's earthly presence and I thank God for what happened in the altars as we began to explore this last Sunday. I've received emails that there were incredible breakthroughs. I had people stop me in the hallways just this morning. It was such a powerful response of the presence of the Lord to the way you embrace the teachings about welcoming his presence. And I thank you for that. I realize that, however, there are some that could possibly wonder because of this whole climate that exists in the religious community. Oh, that's Old Testament stuff. Don't worry about it. Let's focus on the, the New Testament. I, I realize there are some who could wonder why I am taking Sundays to teach on this because Israel, the ark, the tabernacle, that, that seems in their mind to have little relevance to the modern day believer. But as I explained, there is a reason these ancient artifacts of the temple were placed in the Bible for us to study. 185 times in just the Old Testament, the word, the Ark of the Covenant, is referred to. The reason is simply this. When the intangible becomes tangible, the intangible becomes teachable. 
It can be difficult to grasp the concepts behind some of the, the, the truths in the Bible that are so vital to our salvation, like the doctrine of redemption, substitutionary atonement, baptism, soteriology, which is the study of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, uh, things like or, or salvation, rather, and things like pneumatology, which is the study of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the mystery of the Godhead. We could go on and on. Other intangibles in God's Word that are so challenging that it's hard to wrap your mind around it. And you say, Pastor, my eyes are already glazing over soteriology, pneumatology. Like, wh- what is that? Well, don't worry. You don't need to learn those terms. You know why? Because they were so carefully laid out in the Old Testament, in the form of the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, you and I don't have to worry about it. The Bible says that uh, 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 the way is so plain that someone who is a fool, meaning uneducated and with low IQ and blind, will not stumble on this path. They can find it. God made it that clear because these symbols are so extraordinarily specific. You see, God is both hidden and then revealed to us in the meanings of these various items of worship. And that's why the Bible refers to them as being shadows. You can't see God, but you can see his shadow in these things. And the Canaanites, however, because of this right here, they could literally see the visible manifestation of the presence of God with Israel. They had spies. They knew these people were coming, three and a half million people coming through their country. Trust me, I mean, if we're aware of 10,000 in a caravan, (laughs) I can promise you they were aware of three and a half million. That was quite a caravan. Amen. And they had spies. We know they did. When Joshua sent the two spies into the promised land as they were about to cross Jordan, you remember, remember what Rahab told them. They said, the fear of your God caused our hearts to melt because we've watched you. We watched the waters of the Red Sea part. We've watched you eat manna on the, from the ground, angel's food. That rock that followed you in the wilderness, gushing water to provide water to thirsty people in the middle of a desert where they get less than an inch of rain every 10 years. Come on, get real. We know some. They saw the visible glory of God. Not only that, they saw the astonishing blessings that accompany the, the visible glory of God. When you have the glory of God in your life, you notice that's all gold. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothing didn't wear out. They walked out and picking up manna, putting it in the basket. Every, I mean, God was real to them. I want you to understand that in that same way that God was visible to the world in ancient times, and that is just a shadow of what is to come, he wants to be visible to this unsaved world through me and you. I wish I could hear a response. His glory on our lives should be so clear to people around us that they look at us and see his presence and his blessings and they should say, I want to worship your God too. I need your God. I need him to do in my life and my family what he's doing in your life and in your family. Can somebody give God some praise right now? Amen. Amen. When I concluded our study last Sunday, we had gotten as far as the people of Israel bringing the ark of God's presence onto the battlefield at Ebenezer. The problem was they had lost their devotion. They no longer revered the God that was in their midst. Many people would they, because of this whole dynamic of the Old Testament not being significant, about all they know about this box right there is they, what they saw Whenever they watched uh, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, they think that box is a a Nazi melting machine. That's what that that is. Well, it does a lot more than that. Israel had lost their devotion. And they brought the ark to the battle kind of as their ace in the hole, their talisman, their lucky rabbit's foot. (laughs) They were losing the battle and somebody said, go get the ark. Because in the past, every time they brought it into battle, boom, God showed up. And they would shout, not after the victory, before the victory. Before the battle, in fact. 
Because when you have God's presence, you already know how it's going to turn out. No matter what you're facing, you know the outcome in advance. They brought the ark out there. The priest did on the battlefield. Israel shouted with a great shout. And the Philistines said, "Uh uh-oh, we're dead. Because they knew what happened in the past when that ark came on the battlefield. And those sergeants marched up and down the front of the line of their infantry soldiers. And they said, you quit yourself like men. You fight like men today. We're going to die. But at least we're going to go down swinging. Because they brought the ark out there. And the Philistines were terrified. And they went and fought. Only it didn't turn out the way everybody thought it was going to. Israel lost. And the Philistines were stunned that they won. Not only did they win, they captured the Ark of the Covenant. So they honestly thought, well, (laughs) our gods are stronger than we gave them credit for. And they made the mistake of attributing the victory to their gods. And so, celebrating all the way home, they returned to their cities to Ashdod, to Gath, to Ekron, and the others There were five major cities. And you know what they did? They installed the Ark of the Covenant in the house of Dagon, who was their principal deity. And they thought, our God has won the victory over the God of Israel. And you see, that's what happens when God's people lose God's presence and the devotion is not there to back up that thing that you're looking at. Because you can have the form, but you don't have, if you don't have the God that is in the middle of it, you don't have anything. You can have rituals. You can go through your shout. You can do everything you want to do, but it's all about him. It's not about a ritual and how many times you clap your hands and how you hear what I'm talking about. And whenever the church loses the presence of God, it, it loses something else. It loses the respect of the community that it is in. Because the Philistines didn't respect Israel anymore. They had captured their God. And when you lose the presence of God, then the world begins to say things like like this. There is no God. Show me. God doesn't heal anymore. He doesn't answer prayer. Oh, you Christians. God is a figment of your imagination. Ask people like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Lawrence Krauss, the new modern atheists that are so vocal and have so much hatred for the church. You lack intelligence. Your problem is you're not well educated. And what do we have to say to them in return? Well, we believe in God. Yeah, but where's the proof? Because without devotion, there is no manifestation of the glory of God. I will never forget the story of Matthew Davis, or or rather Davis Matthews, They often call them by their their first name, but it's Davis Matthews, Benny Matthews' brother. I know him well. He's been here. Benny is my son in ministry. They were raised in India. His parents, Pop Matthews and and Mother Grace, moved from the state of Kerala in India, which is the southwestern part, one of the southwestern states of India. They moved to Gujarat, which is up toward the north and to the west as well. And they're only... 5% Christians in the entire nation of India, which is now neck and neck with red China, about one and a half billion people, and they're expected to pass red China in population. Would have already done so if it had not been for the breakaway of Pakistan and Bangladesh. And all of that in a a landmass that's one third the size of the continental United States, people that need God. And they believe in 330 million gods. That's what Hindu scholars have cataloged, 330 million gods. And mom and pop Matthews moved to Vatadora, Baroda, in India, in the state of Gujarat. They were raising their kids, and Davis was born, and Davis had polio. And they managed to, to get money together to buy a brace for his leg that was crippled because he couldn't hardly walk. This is a true story. And he's told me the story himself. His parents have sat there. I've listened to the story from Benny as well. And the, the money for that brace was the equivalent of what they would earn in an entire year. And they wanted that brace so their son could learn how to walk. But when they got the brace, the neighboring Hindus around their house that hated Christianity started making fun of them. And saying, ha, 
You have to have a brace. I thought your God was a healer. You see, when you don't have the presence of God and you don't have the manifest glory of God operating in a church, the world has no compelling reason to believe in your God. And they began to make fun until finally Mother Grace, who is an intercessor, every single day she prays for me and has for 25 years. Every single day she has a group of intercessors that meet in their home and they pray for me and pray for this church. And she began to pray. And she finally said, God, when God didn't answer at first, she said, God, this is where I'm at. Either you heal my son or you take him. And she took the brace off his leg and threw it out in the backyard. If I was Davis, I think I would have tugged on her skirt and said, Mama, hey, let's talk about this first. What do you mean, heal me or take me? (laughs) Do I get to vote? Because she got fed up with her neighbors making fun of God. And do you know what God did? God healed Davis. He doesn't walk with a brace. He's completely whole. He now pastors the church that his mom and dad founded. Can somebody give God some glory right now? The Philistines took the ark of God. And put it in the house of Dagon, their principal God. Half fish, half man. The whole message in that. Because you see, they were the Phoenicians that lived right along the coast of the Mediterranean. And they were not into farming as much as they were into fishing. And when the the crop was good and they caught a lot of fish, they did well. Fish was their blessing. But when they went out to sea and caught nothing, it became their curse. And how many people do you know that their gods are either their blessing or their curse? You understand what I'm talking about? Some people get blessed and and the next thing you know, their gods are the house they live in. They're the car they drive. Can I preach to you for a few minutes? It's society, it's fame, it's having your name out there. It's how many followers you have on Facebook. How many likes you get on your photos and Instagram. That's your God. People live for that. On the other hand, how many people do you know that they walk through a dark place and that becomes their God because that's all they're going to talk about. It doesn't matter all the good things they have going on in their life. Can I really talk to you right now? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. In your darkest hour, keep your attention focused on him, because it's all about God. And if you do, God will show up for you the way he did for Chernin and Grace Matthews and their son Davis. So they placed the ark in front of Dagon, half man, half fish. The man because that was the intelligence part of the equation. The fish because that was the problem or the blessing, you see. They worship their problems. They worship their blessings. Still happens today. Sure it does. <laughs> and they, this is all in the city of Ashdod. <laughs> Whole study in just that. The name of the city Ashdod means ravager. Now who in the name of God is going to name a city ravager or destroyer? Gives you a little insight into the nature of some of these gods they worship. Satan always has been a destroyer. I wish I could get a better amen. It's what he does. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so they're celebrating their victory late into the night, getting drunk, and finally it's time to go home, and somebody blows out the candles, and the temple is dark, and they go home. Big problem here. I want to tell you about our God. Our God can see in the dark. Oh, yeah, you can. Our God works in the darkness. Anybody walking through a dark place right now, don't despair. I know a God that can see in the middle of the dark. You see, in the New Testament, he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah in the book of Revelation. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but cats can see almost as well in the dark as they can in the daytime. And so everything is dark and the enemy is going to bed and Dagon is sitting on his throne. And in comes the lion of the tribe of Judah and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
You didn't win because you defeated me. This battle was lost to Israel because they didn't have the devotion that they should have had. And so he topples Dagon over on his face. And they come in the next morning and there's their God lying on his face. And that's early in the morning and they get thinking, ooh, better get this big boy set up before all the worshipers come in. Because they're going to see him lying on his face and we, we don't want anybody thinking the wrong thing about that. But, so they got him propped back up. The worshipers come in and the celebrations continue throughout that day late into the night. And once again, they blow out the candles. And this time the lion of the tribe of, walk, of Judah walks in. And he doesn't just knock the bad boy down. He cuts off his head and both of his hands. And he carries them over and sets them on the threshold at the entrance of the temple. Oh. Because the head is where the strategic thinking abilities of the enemy come in who has been plotting the harm that you have been experiencing in your life. The hand refers to the ability to enact those strategies. And what the line of the tribe of Judah was saying in my presence, I not only defeat the strategy, I stop the enemy dead in his tracks. Now you say, Pastor, why are you preaching this? Because I want to talk to somebody that's in the middle of a dark season right now. And you may feel like you can't get out of it. And you might not be able to see, but if you could, walking right beside you, there's a lion that can see as well as in, in the dark as he can in the daytime. Oh, somebody bless his name right now. Somebody bless his name right now. Somebody give him some praise. Somebody that needs a breakthrough, give him some praise in this house. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. God was saying, Dagon, you didn't defeat me at all. I just didn't show up when they thought I did. Because I'm not God in the box. I'm not your lucky rabbit's foot to twirl around your finger. I'm not your ace in the hole. You can't play me. You can't use me. I respond to people that have a relationship with me. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Now, this story really speaks to me because it's about how, it's not only about how to reverence God's presence. When moving to a new place of worship, but like David and Israel, when they moved the ark to Mount Zion, it's about something else. You see, what God was telling every Philistine that came the next morning and lying there in the threshold of the door is a decapitated head, strategies of Dagon and the broken hands which is his ability to carry out those strategies. What God was telling every Philistine that came you're at the wrong place. Your God doesn't have any power. You can come in if you want to, but I want you to know he has no hands. He has no head. You're, in other words, devil, you're at a new level of defeat. Because I just stepped into the middle of this equation. But it wasn't just a message to the Philistines. It was a message to Israel. Because what God was saying is I'm bringing Israel to a new threshold where the enemy that has troubled you and defeated you up until just a few days ago is getting ready to reach a point where he can't defeat you anymore. Now, I want to say something about this because I'm really talking to somebody right now. There is a difference in a season and an era. Seasons come... And seasons, come on, help me out. Seasons come and seasons go. Has anybody ever needed a new season in their life? The problem is seasons come to a conclusion. I've got a word for this house. We're moving into a new era, not a new season. Because, oh, oh. I want you to think about that for a moment. Wrap your mind around it. David was literally bringing Israel into a new era. 
a new era that lasted for decades, decades, where God elevated them in his divine presence, was so in the, much in, the, in their midst that all of the surrounding nations were aware of it. You know why God let Israel be shamed that day? They tried to use him. And you always get into trouble when you try to use God. Mm. And the Philistines, on the other hand, they didn't get into trouble because they tried to use God. <laughs> they got into trouble because they underestimated God. Don't you underestimate him either. Because I've never seen a situation he couldn't fix. You may be here today and your marriage so far gone, you don't think you can save it. I've got a word for you. You can't, but I know somebody who can. I'm going to close, but before I do, I'm going to get a little more specific, but I'm going to be delicate and skirt around and dance around some sensitive things that are in the Bible. The Bible just kind of plops it out there, drops it out there, warts and all. You know what I mean? And I'm going to be sensitive. I don't want to be risque, but that wasn't the only thing that happened when they put the ark in the temple of Dagon. All of the men were smitten with deadly tumors. They were called emrods. If you look, it's hemorrhoids. <laughs> only a very virulent, dangerous kind. They died. Not only that, they were overrun by an infestation of mice. Mice destroy your harvest. Now, I'm, I'm trying to really be delicate here. Hemorrhoids make it hard to ever sit down and be comfortable. Now, I'm blessed in that I don't have them. But I'm probably talking to somebody out there that has. Anybody ever see somebody carry those little donut pillows they have to? When you have the enemy in your life, he will steal your harvest and steal your comfort. That's what he does. Oh, my God. They were dying right and left. And you know what they did? They preferred their brothers. So they packed up the ark and sent it to Gaza. Said, you keep it a while. And they had a little while, and the infestation broke out there, and, and they said, we don't want this anymore either, so they sent it to Ekron. Ekron means torn up by the roots. I mean, the names of some of these cities are so insightful into the nature of these gods they worship. They were gods of destruction. I mean, torn up by the roots. You ever had that happen in your life where the, you feel the enemy trying to tear up your marriage by its roots or your finances or your business, he'll tear up everything he can get his hands on. And sure enough, the same infestation of mice and hemorrhoids broke out there. And finally, they said after seven months, oh, time out. They, they turned to Dagon and said, sorry to disappoint you, bad boy, but we're sending this baby back home. Amen. You know, we worship you and all of that, but we just figured something out. You don't have as much power as he does, and we're dying like flies. So, so you know, we, we don't want to make you angry or anything like that, but we're sending the ark back to Israel. And they did. They put it on a new cart. And they took two cows that had recently had calves, and they took their calves. And their calves had never pulled an, a cart before. They hitched them up to the cart. And normally a calf is not going to leave its mother because it is still needing to be fed and nourished by its mother. And this was their logic and their reasoning. If this cart, if these calves that had never pulled a cart go straight toward the nation of Israel, which was just up the road, the closest city was Beshemesh, right on the border of Israel and Philistia. If they go straight in that direction, we will know that because they're violating and going against their inbred instincts, their natural instincts to be with their moms and to be fed, that this has been an attack from God and we're sending them home. On the other hand, if they run to their mama, we know, well, just bad coincidences and misfortunes just happened and you know, unlucky roll of the dice and all that kind of thing. So they hooked up these, these calves and let them go. And man, they, a beeline straight up the road toward Israel. And they turned again to Dagon and said, see, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we'll worship you when he gets back home. But right now, <laughs> he gets first priority. And when it got to Beth Shemesh, and I'm about to close, 
The men of Bethshemesh also, because they were a part of Israel and the nation had lost its devotion to God. Put the ark. There it is. Thank you. The men of Bethshemesh, they saw the ark coming their way and they rejoiced. The presence of God is coming back to Israel. Hooray. Hallelujah. And when it got there, you see, you weren't even supposed to see this box. It was to be covered with a covering. And you see those poles, you were never supposed to touch it. Flesh cannot touch the glory of God. God will not allow flesh to be involved in his glory. The priest, when they picked up this ark, could only pick up the staves that were run through the rings on the side of the ark. And the men of Bethshemes, like the rest of Israel, having lost their devotion, they were so glad to see the ark come because in the ark were three things. The tables of stone, which is the divine law, Aaron's rod that budded, and the golden pot of manna. And here's the problem. Without devotion, they had ignored the, the, the directives and the protocols of the divine law. So they took that box right there, pulled the lid off, which was the mercy seat, looked inside and said, we're going to bypass the law and the protocols of God and what we're supposed to do. And we're going straight for Aaron's rod that budded and straight for the golden pot of manna. And that pretty much describes where much of the church world is at today. Don't tell us how we're supposed to live. Just tell us how we can get supernatural authority. Tell us how we can have the favor of God on our lives. Can I preach to you right now? There are no shortcuts to God's blessings. I need an amen. Can somebody give God some praise? I'm wrapping this up. But can somebody give God some worship? Spiritual authority over the enemy and supernatural favor always go hand in glove with the divine law. You cannot separate them. When you honor God's word in your life, you gain access to his authority. And you gain his favor. If you want financial authority, for example, you can't bypass what God teaches about finances and expect to be blessed. You can't ignore his word to you about giving the tithe or helping the, the, uh, the, the unfortunate. You can't do that. you got to honor his word before you get to that, that Aaron's rod that budded. Before you have the authority to go into the marketplace and, and make some money at the stock market. Hello, somebody. You better be sure you have the divine word of God intact in your house. And before you move on to get that golden pot of supernatural manna where even your neighbors are saying, man, I don't know what you're doing, but I wish God would bless me like that. You need to get the word straight in your life. Can somebody give him praise? Why? Why is it that way? It's because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. God and his divine law are inseparable. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was. You can't separate God from his word. And if you want his blessings and you want his authority, you need to embrace his teachings and his protocol. And I mean, just like that, boom, a plague broke out among the men of Bethshemes and they began to die. Same plague that had been in Philistia. And they said, whoa, we've made a mistake. And they sent the ark to the house of Abinadab. Abinadab means the father of generosity. And when they got there, <laughs> the plague stopped. Let me tell you what I've learned in life. When I have been in an attack, I've been painted into a corner. I didn't know any way out. There's one thing that's always worked for me. Be generous. Be generous. When I needed the financial blessing myself, be generous. Because you can give your way out of a tight. You ever been in a tight? Everybody ever been in a hard place? I'm not just talking about money. You can give your time. You can give your attention. You can give your praise. Just don't be stingy. Don't let it shut you down. And I close with this because Abinadab lived in Kirjath-Jerim, which was a border city on the side of the, the nation of Israel that was a boundary 
It was on the western side of Israel. It was actually a border city that was a boundary of the Philistines. It was as close to being in Philistia as you could get without actually being in Philistia. Jerusalem, on the other hand, where Mount Zion was, where David wanted to bring the ark, Jerusalem is located in the middle of the nation. Now that is a, 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 a very insightful, as it were, and a pictorial way for you to grasp one of the most important intangibles about serving God. Don't let God become a peripheral concern. He needs to be in the center of your There are some people that make God all about the periphery. I'm going to go to church if I'm not busy. If I don't have some other plans. In Numbers chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Every one of the children of Israel shall count by his own standard. Beside the emblems of his father's house, they shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of the meeting. They were not allowed to pitch their tents right up against the tabernacle. And on the east side, toward the rising of the sun, those of the standard of the forces with Judah shall camp. And then in Numbers 2, it goes on and it tells where every single tribe is to, to camp. Judah was one of the larger tribes. And this is the way they camp. Look at the way they, the camp was laid out when viewed from an overhead perspective. If we had a drone that we could fly over the camp of Israel, that's what you would see. There in the middle, you will see that, that, that white rectangle and you'll see the words Mirari, Gershom, Koath, and then Moses, Aaron, and his sons. This is where the priests camped around the tabernacle. The tent of meeting was the tabernacle. Tent of meeting is what they called the tabernacle. It's what it means. The tent where you come to meet with God. There, there needs to be a place in everybody's life where you can meet with God. A community needs a church where you can meet with God. Uh, David showed up with all the worshipers, 30,000 choice men. They were playing the guitars, the drums, blowing the trumpets. But guess what happened? God wasn't there. And the reason is, is because of what I'm showing you right now. When you look at the way that the camps were lined out and told to camp around the tent of meeting, notice for example, these names are profound in their meaning. Look at the word Judah, for example. Everybody knows that means praise. But did you know that Issachar means reward? And did you know that Zebulon means habitation? And what God is saying is if you will praise me and put me in the middle of your life, my reward to you will be habitation. Oh, somebody ought to give him praise. Amen. It looks just like the cross our Christ was hung upon. And right in the middle is that tent of meeting. And right in the, at the, as a part of that was the holiest of all. And in that was the ark of the covenant right where the heart of Christ would be on the cross. And I wrap it up by simply saying, this is a lesson in why we must learn to honor God's presence. This story is insightful for these reasons. It teaches us what we should and should not do if we want God's blessings and favor to relocate with us to our new facility. Mount Zion was only 11 acres in size, and David said, I'm going to go get the ark, and I'm bringing it home. And he took off. And he brought 30,000 men and they're clapping and they're singing and they're going through all of the praise. But just because you shout doesn't mean God is there. And Israel should have learned that at Ebenezer when the ark was taken. And they put the ark on a cart just like the Philistines did. Heaven help us. When the gain, as it were, acceptance with the world, we've got to modify our teachings. Hello, somebody. It's going to get quiet right now. Oh, I'm going to preach to you. I'm sorry. I'm going to meddle a little while. I'm going to get in. Yeah, oh, Pastor, I, you know, I'm looking for a church that lets me get by with all that. I'll tell you what you're looking for. You're looking for Aaron's rod and the pot of manna, but you don't want the ten tables of stone. And if you don't have the, the law, you're not going to have authority and you're not going to have the blessing either.
So they put it on a cart, and here they go. <laughs> yeah, get up, go, get up. And that cart starts moving toward Mount Zion, and they come to the threshing floor. And in every life, there will be a threshing floor. And the Bible said it was a rough place. And trust me when I tell you, everybody comes to a rough place. In this fallen, broken world, you're going to come to a rough place once in a while. Mm. And that's when Uzzah, as the ark stumbled, the cart jostled, the, the oxen stumbled, he reached out his hand and touched with good intentions what should not have been touched. And, I, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now, if you would, please. Now, Uzzah's problem was that he had been raised in the home of Abinadab. The ark had been there seven years. When he was born, the ark was in his house. He grew up with it. Grew up seeing it seated over there in the corner of the living room like the TV on the wall. Like the sofa. Or dad's easy chair. Grew up with that ark right over there. And he lost his reverence for the things that were holy. You can't control God's presence and his glory by touching it with a human hand. They had violated the very clear and specific protocols that God had given the children of Israel in the Mosaic law for carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They failed to believe that what God said really mattered. Sounds like a lot of church people today in this modern church age. And you know what else David did, or I should say didn't do? He had brought 30,000 men. They had a brand new cart. It was all polished and shiny. They had all the instruments. They had the crowd. They had everything they needed. But the one thing David did not do was he didn't offer a single sacrifice that day. Not one. Not one. Oh, he learned because the next time he came back three months later, he offered a sacrifice every six steps. He would dance for six steps. And then it would stop. And the seventh, he would build an altar. Eight and a half miles, he did that. Six steps, seven steps, build an altar, offer a sacrifice. He learned that real worship has got to have sacrifice mixed in it. Come on, can somebody give God some worship right now? If it's no more than the sacrifice of your time on Sunday morning... If it's no more than to get yourself out of bed and get dressed and get to the house of God. If it's no more than to give God your tithe and offering. If it's no more to worship when you don't feel like worshiping. Real worship has got to have some sacrifice mixed in it. And I tell you what else. You never want to go very far. David went six steps and that was all. And he stopped and offered a sacrifice. I have learned to never go very far without giving God a sacrifice. If it's just a sacrifice of my time, I want you to come join me as we pray and close this service. Sing it, James. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy provider.
point your finger at your own heart and say, God has been faithful to me. Look at your neighbor and say, God's been faithful to me. He's never let me down, not one time. Never will let me down. I can't take him for granted. He's been too good to me. Oh, somebody ought to love him right now. I got to worship him because he's been good to me. God has been good to me. God has been. Some of you might be walking through that dark place right now. Where you feel like God has failed you. He didn't show up. You may feel like Dagon or whatever enemy it is that you're facing has triumphed over you. But just look at somebody near you and say, he hasn't. Would you do that? He hasn't. He hasn't. You may be walking through a really dark night, but the God we serve shows up in the darkness. He knows how to work. And somebody in this altar is about to have a breakthrough. We are in seven weeks of breakthrough. Seven weeks of breakthrough. Seven weeks of breakthrough. If you need a breakthrough, God is about to show up in your life. I I feel such a prophetic anointing here right now. I'm going to pray a prayer. I want to pray a prophetic prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus. I confound every strategy of the enemy and I break his head in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. He is defeated in the name of Jesus. There's a strategy that the enemy has employed to destroy a family that's here today. But Satan, you're not going to succeed. You're not, your strategy is not going to work. It's not going to work. Your strategy for destroying that marriage is not going to work. The strategy that you have for destroying that that Christian businessman who's trying to build a kingdom business. It's not going to work in Jesus' name. It's not going to work. Some of you are engaged in active conflict right now with the enemy. In the name of Jesus, Father, I ask you to break the hands of the enemy right now. Let his activity be stopped in Jesus' name. Let healing come. Let deliverance come. 